Want to make mom's day? Get to your Nordstrom Rack now and score amazing deals for Mother's Day, which is Sunday, May 12th. Find tons of gifts from only $30 at Nordstrom Rack. Fragrance, jewelry, luxury bags, activewear, beauty, and more. Save on Kate Spade, New York, Stuart Weitzman, and Ted Baker, London. Great brands, great prices. So shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and treat mom to the good stuff from just $30. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Gladys Knight is a living legend. As both a solo artist and with her pips, seven-time Grammy winner, Gladys Knight created music that is now woven into the tapestry of our culture. Her recordings of If I Were Your Woman and Midnight Train to Georgia are just essential and timeless. Even as a child, Gladys's voice had to be heard. She was four years old when she began performing at Atlanta's Mount Moriah Baptist Church. And it was just a few years later that she got her big break. It was 1952. Gladys won a talent competition on the TV show, The Ted Mack Original Amateur Hour. Think of it as the star search or American Idol of its day. At that time, it was momentous for a young black girl to win a televised competition. But that was just a hint of what was to come. Gladys has built an incredible career based on a perfect blend of unmatchable talent and the love of her family. They have always had her back. Everybody has a story, and there is something to be learned from every experience. Use your life as a class. This is Masterclass with Gladys Knight. You remember Star Search? That's what the Ted Mack original amateur hour was. Just like they do American Idol today. They have people, like thousands of people lined up, you know, to, just to get inside the door and say, hey, Kate, would you listen to me? When I was seven, my mom and my auntie sent them a tape, and right away they said yes. But that was a tough time in our society because segregation was rampant. I mean, we were even taught how we were supposed to act in certain spaces around certain people. That's just the way that it was. It was hurtful, it was ugly, it was nasty, it was unfair, it was all of those things. And you could allow your spirit to die because of it, but our parents taught us how to survive in those arenas. So when I got to go to Ted Mack, original amateur hour, there was a different arena I was the only African-American on the show. And when I won, they brought the trophy in that I had won, and the trophy was bigger than I was. And so they asked some of the other contestants just for a picture if they would come and stand with me and just help me hold the trophy, one or two of them, you know. And their parents sat right on the side and looked at me and said, absolutely not. I didn't think anything about it. You know, I, I just wasn't 
like that. Okay, you don't want to hold it, that's okay. And Mr. Matt came in. I have to give it to him. You know, sometimes a lead person in any situation can set the pace. That's who Mr. Mack was. He was the nicest, the most caring, the most fun individual. I couldn't have asked for a better program because of him to be a part of. And if you see a picture of me with that trophy, it's with him. He heard about it, he came down, and he stood with me and helped me hold the trophy. And my mom was standing outside the door, and when I came out, she said, well, come on, baby. Said, we have to go now, because they were getting ready to have a party in there. She said, but don't worry about that. She said, we're having a party for you down in the limo, because my, my cousin owned a limo. And she said, we're so proud of you, and we did so-and-so. Just took me right out of that, and then let me dwell into that whole ugly situation. My mom never taught us color, in, in a sense, you know. She never taught us, those are bad people. Those are this, that, or the other, you know. Just taught us circumstances sometimes. So we didn't grow up hating people or disliking people. We too young. And I just didn't think nothing about it. And I'm still like that today. If you want to be like that, or you feel like, you know, I don't deserve certain things, I don't measure up to you, that's on you. I know who I am. I know what I deserve. I know what I do. I know what I give. And all I want to do is do it like the Lord would have me do it. He said, love everybody, even if they're not nice. <laughs> so <laughs> that's the way I've been for most of my life. And it could have been a very hurtful thing to me, but it wasn't because of the way that I was brought up. You always gonna have somebody trying to pull you in the wrong direction and your spirit has to be strong enough to say no thank you. In my growing up, we were always about friends and family and community. And it was Bubba's birthday, my brother. So I got together with my friends and I said, hey, why don't we have a little party at the house? You know, so they liked that. I said, yeah. Now you know we ain't had no money, right? <laughs> And so we went to the store and we got bread and we got bologna and stuff to make sandwiches with. You could get a lot of bologna for 10 cents back then. <laughs> and then I went around to the corner to a friend of ours named Garfield because we didn't have a record player and we wanted to dance. And so we asked Garfield if we could uh, borrow his record player and we set it up in the backyard. And we just ended up having a really great fun afternoon, just dancing and playing and having fun. And so Garfield said, well, I don't want to play that record. He got mad with us. He said, well, you know, if you don't play what I want to play, then I'm taking my record player. I said, okay, take your record player. That's right. And he took his record player and went home. And so when he left, we said, hey, let's, let's do a talent show. Everybody do something. You can do whatever you want to do. You can sing, you can dance, you can tell a joke, you can do whatever. So my sister, my Brenda, my cousin Eleanor, my, my cousin William, and Bubba and me, and we used to sing in church together. We started singing, and everybody just really liked what we sounded like. You know, so they started clapping, yeah, that was good, that was good. So after the party was all over and everybody left, my mom said, you know what? 
is that something that you guys would like to continue doing? And we said, yeah, it sounds fun to us. My mom said, well, y'all got to have somebody, you know, that's going to take care of you. She said, I'm going to call Pip. That's her nephew. He was just like a man about town. Every night he was getting dressed up, smelling good, going to the clubs and that kind of stuff. That's who Pip was back then. Very young man, though. And so she called Pip, and Pip said, don't be bothered with them children. That's exactly how he said it. <laughs> My mom said, well, you're going to be bothered with these children. So he came over, and he heard her sing, right? And he got all excited and everything. So she told him, she said, now you got to go out and get some engagements for these children. <laughs> and so he came back about mm, three or four days later, and he said, I got y'all an engagement. It was for a tea at the YWCA, and they was going to pay us $10. $10. And so we took it because we were excited about going to perform. We did two songs, Canadian Sunset and In the Still of the Night. And that was it. We know no more songs other than that. And we rehearsed it, and we came off good. And then people started asking for us. And then Pip started asking around town at the clubs, and he finally got us at the Royal Peacock. That was the number one club in Atlanta. But we didn't have a name. They used to call us the Little Knight Family. And we said, no, that's not good. So I remember we were laying on the couch and on the floor in the living room. We came up with everything, cars and flowers and fruit and all that kind of stuff, trying to find a name. It said, that don't fit us. That don't fit us. And so finally, we just came to it and said, you know what? Who's our manager? Pip. Well, why don't we name ourselves after Pip? He's been doing everything for us, you know? They said, yeah, yeah, that's right. So we started calling ourselves the Pips. <laughs> During our time of working in Atlanta, we were playing the, the big showrooms and Pip took us to see everybody because he wanted us to be of the top notch, the platters, all the people that had good names and solid careers. Dinah Washington came to town, and we were on the show with her that night. Her personality, she was kind of gruff, so to speak, you know, and she'd be cussing out the musicians <laughs> and everything. And I, had, I hadn't seen that behavior before, <laughs> you know. And so we went over, and she started talking about it. Uh, so you guys are going to be singing tonight, huh? Very gruff. <laughs> and he said, yes, ma'am. That night, we were getting dressed. And they didn't have a dressing room for us, but we had to change clothes. And so they took towels and hung them over a string so that we could get dressed. But we had learned how to dress from the top down without getting totally undressed. You know, you take whatever you had on on the top and then you put your top on and then you pull your dress down, then you pull everything off, okay. Well, me, being all nervous and behind everything, you know, I forgot to take my slip off. So during the middle of our performance, I saw Pip come down the aisle. Eleanor looked over there and saw him. And then she, she said, Pip's calling you. Pip's calling you. My slip had come all the way down, like, to here, but I didn't notice. 
And so she said, go to the dressing room. I didn't know what they were talking about until I started walking off and I saw my slip coming off. I said, Aah! That was one of my most embarrassing moments. And I went back, I just started to cry, you know? Because <laughs> we were doing pretty good, you know? But everybody saw my slip coming off. So I went in the dressing room and I took my slip off. Pip said, okay, now go on back out there. I said, I'm not going back out there. He said, oh, you're going back out there. I said, I can't go back, and I started to cry. He said, I'm not having that. You're going back out there. You know, that's the thing to do. I was scared, but I knew I had to face the audience. So I went back out there. That was one of my most embarrassing moments that I've ever had in this whole industry was that night. But after the show, Dinah Washington, she said, hey, y'all, come on over here. Let me see you. You know, she, she was like that. And so we went over. I was so nervous. I didn't know what to do. And she asked if we could go on tour with her. It was just amazing. <laughs> Want to make mom's day? Get to your Nordstrom Rack now and score amazing deals for Mother's Day, which is Sunday, May 12th. Find tons of gifts from only $30 at Nordstrom Rack. Fragrance, jewelry, luxury bags, activewear, beauty, and more. Save on Kate Spade, New York, Stuart Weitzman, and Ted Baker, London. Great brands, great prices. So shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and treat mom to the good stuff from just $30. Anything that knocks you down in this life, you have to learn how to get up and get back on the horse. That's show business. You got to know how to work with those different situations. And it also applies to life. You know, you get knocked down, you might as well just get on back up and, and do the next best thing. Let's go do it. The mindset of people in the recording industry, when we started, it was like, get yours, you know. The industry was kind of like dog-eat-dog. And a little something was happening beyond our control. We had done some experimental music for Fats Hunter that owned the Builders Club in Atlanta. He wanted to see how his new recording instruments were happening. So he asked us after we did the show that night, would we stay over and just put some things down on tape so he could test it? Well, as green as we were, <laughs> we said, okay. <laughs> so we did a few of the songs we were doing in the show. We didn't have a record out at that time. But we were always, always getting prepared for whatever may happen in the future. So he said at the end, we thought we were finished. He said, he said, you know, oh, by the way, do you guys have any original stuff that you know or that you wouldn't mind doing? And so we did have some original things that we have been working on with Sonny Woods, who was a member of the Midnighters singing group. And we said, yeah, we, we got a few things. He said, well, why don't you put that down? And so we did that. And before we knew anything and we went back to school before graduation, our friends kept telling us, oh, we love your new song. I said, what new song? They said, your song's on the radio. I said, yeah, you guys are lying now. <laughs> you know, So we happened to be walking down Hunter Street at the time. And they used to have these speakers outside of the record company so they could lure you inside to buy something. And I heard this, in every... I said, wait a minute, that sounds like me. And that's who, that's who it was. They were playing our records, and the name of that song was Every Beat of My Heart. They had 
I'll just say it like it is, stolen our music. We'd found out later they had released the record without our permission, and they had sold the master by that time to VJ Records. That's how it started out for us, recording-wise. And it was like a rough road from that beginning on, as far as records were concerned. It was not a nice business. <laughs> but at any rate, it got us the fame. And while we were uh, experiencing that success, I should say, with that recording, since we didn't have a contract, Bobby Robinson, who was the head of Fury Records, sent a talent scout down to talk to my mom about us signing with them. This was in 1960. I was just pretty much into my high school thing. <laughs> I was running track at the time, actually doing field, doing the javelin and the discus, yeah, and that kind of stuff. And the guys, the pips, my family, Bubba Knight, Edward Patton, William Guest, came running over to the school because we were practicing in the field and telling us I had to go home. I said, why? They said, because we're going to New York tonight. I said, New York tonight? They said, yeah, we're going to New York tonight because the record company wants to sign us and they need us in New York tomorrow. I said, you lying. <laughs> the honest truth is I said, I ain't going because I got, I, I'm leaving for Fort Valley tomorrow. We having a, a a, a track tournament. They said, Mama said, you got to come home right now. <laughs> so they put me in the car and they carried me back home. And my mom explained to me what was happening. She said, babe, and I'll never forget this, opportunities are ball-headed. And sometimes when you don't reach out and grab them, they slip right through your fingers. And it made sense to me. We left on the plane that night and we went to New York and the rest is history, kind of like, because I never did get back to Fort Valley. They re-released the record under Fury Records, and that's how we became Gladys Knight and the Pips. Because before that, I was just a pip. We all were pips. <laughs> was no lead singer, according to everybody else. But my mom was right. It was a great opportunity. Gladys Knight and the Pips were building their audience and finding success on the road. But by leaving her close-knit community in Atlanta, Gladys got exposed to the cruelties of segregation firsthand. In many of the places she performed, she was confronted with name-calling and just outright hatred. She faced a lot of ugliness and threats of violence. With the segregation kind of things, we did have communities. And we depended on each other. And though we weren't taught race and that kind of thing, my mom and my dad and my uncles and aunts always made us aware that there was that element somewhere out there. When we started going outside of our realm, traveling outside of Atlanta, was when we really got to see segregation firsthand. I remember we went on, on our first grand tour. We were driving everywhere, me and the pips. The further south we went, the atmosphere changed. We stopped at a service station to get some gas, and we filled up the tank. And I said, well, wait a minute, while we stopped, I need to go to the bathroom. So I got out and I went around to where I saw the bathroom was, 
and the door was locked. So I went back around inside and I said, sir, do you have a key to your restroom? I need to go to the restroom, please. And he said, we don't let niggas use our bathrooms. And when he said that, as young as I was, it shocked me, you know, because it was never in your face like that. Now, I, I couldn't be no more than like 13, 12. I said, you mean to tell me that we just bought a whole tank of gas from you and we can't use your bathroom? I said, are you giving us our money back and come get your gas? The guys came to the door and told me, get, come on out of there. I was just going on a rage. They grabbed me and threw me in the car. <laughs> I said, look, you know what? You about to get us killed. I said, what? He said, just, just, you know, just be quiet. You know, don't be saying anything to anybody like that. I said, well, it's the truth. They said, well, yeah, but it's not like that down here. You know, so that was my first encounter. I was so mad. I, did, I didn't know how to hold my peace. And from then on, it was a, an awareness of what was going on. I remember us traveling together. We used to do motorcades to go on tour. It'd be Chuck Jackson and Jackie Wilson and Dee Clark and Sam Cooke and Jesse Belvin and us, just carloads full of us, just going so we could be in safety. And they would separate the audiences back in those days. You know, we'd do a concert for the Caucasian people up in the auditorium where they had the cushioned seats. And then they would do a dance downstairs with no seats, just people crowded up in the place for African-Americans or people of color in the basement of wherever they were. And that bothered us, but we just sucked it up. Then you back on for the next show. One time, we were coming through Alabama, and siren went off. Yeah, 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 yeah. It was about five carloads full of us. They weren't speeding or doing anything. We were very careful when we were down south. Pull us over to the side of the road and said, what you boys doing? You know, very disrespectful, you know. Y'all ain't going nowhere. And they said, y'all got to follow us. And so we got back in our cars and they drove us way back up in the woods. And finally came to this house looking thing. They had sails in the back of the house and they put all the guys in the sails and we couldn't do nothing. They kept us there all day long. It was a scary thing. And they said, okay, you got one phone call. So we called Motown and whatever they said to them, they finally let us go and went on to the next gig. And then we got to Greensboro and we had to do that split concert again. After we got through, all the girls that was on the tour went and sat on the bus because the guys would help break down at the end of the evening. And these guys, Caucasian guys from Greensboro got on the bus. They was talking dirty, really dirty and said, what you, I don't even like saying that word. I said, what you niggas doing up in here? So we said, we bet you one thing, you better get off this bus before our guys come out here. That's what we bet you better do. You know, so when the guys started coming out after they had broke down, 
broke the theater down, took all the equipment up. And we said, y'all better go. And they saw him coming toward the bus, so they left. But they were still hanging around on the outside, you know. So when our friends got on the bus, they said, those guys out there, they got on this bus? They said, yeah, they got on the bus, and they was talking dirty. They all jumped off the bus and ran down to confront them, right? And so the other guys started running. And so they started running down the street that way, and the next thing we knew, we heard, pow, 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 pow. We said, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. What those shots we heard? And then we saw our guys running back to the bus. And our bus driver, he was something else, boy. And he closed that door and went around that corner, and he was gone, boy. Everybody was just being thrown all over the bus because he was getting out of town. That was a scary, very scary incident. It's so ugly. It's, it's, just, it's just nasty, you know? We have to learn from these things. We can either become a part of it and start to hate as they do, or we can choose to be right and correct in spite of the ugliness or the things that come to you that you know aren't the righteous thing to do. You pray for those that are lost. And that's not always the easiest thing that you can do. Somebody that's been so disrespectful and have so much disregard for, for your space here on this earth, and how much better they would feel if they could just love. That's why I say it's up to us to be the best example that we can be so that they can see their way. Want to make mom's day? Get to your Nordstrom Rack now and score amazing deals for Mother's Day, which is Sunday, May 12th. Find tons of gifts from only $30 at Nordstrom Rack. Fragrance, jewelry, luxury bags, activewear, beauty, and more. Save on Kate Spade, New York, Stuart Weitzman, and Ted Baker, London. Great brands, great prices. So shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and treat mom to the good stuff from just $30. I've learned thousands, thousands of lessons from performing, okay? Even when I was a, a four-year-old, my mom and dad were very natural, normal. They didn't want us to feel like we were some kind of set-apart kind of child, and they definitely didn't want us to feel like we were all that because we were going in front of an audience. They didn't have it. So we had to make sure, watch our manners. We had to learn how to speak respectfully to people. You got to make sure that you're a lady and that kind of thing. And as far as the guys were concerned, you have your discipline. So we grew up with that, and I still carry it with me. And I felt it was important that I set the example, first of all, for my children and my family, and then to be an example for those people in the audience to be respected that way. It's very important, very important, that you love and respect yourself first, and then the rest comes after that. They feel like if you respect yourself, that's the way that you want to be treated. You want to have respect in return. And you can't ask for something that you're not giving. 
And that's why we were always aware of and on top of being respectful to our audiences, to people in general, because that's the way we were raised. And uh, it's worked well for us so far. So far. <laughs> they think everybody was born at Motown. We were not born at Motown, <laughs> all right? We have been in the business so long before Motown ever came about. A lot of the artists we knew as they came out, The Temptations, The Four Tops, The Originals, Marvin Gaye, everybody that was at the company, they would kind of gravitate toward us. And of course, we had open arms. But as far as the company was concerned, we were not very high up on the roster, so to speak. And to be very open and honest with you, if you were female, you really didn't get a lift up as far as your promotion, as far as them thinking you were great. So we said, we're just looking for a hit record right now. You know, felt like you guys may be able to help us get one. And if you don't want to do that, we'll go on anyway, because we've always built our thing on our performances. That's where we got most, all of our money from, was going to work, like my dad did and my mom did. <laughs> We just said, we're not doing that anymore. If we're not gonna profit from this music that we make, let's just make ourselves great entertainers. That way we can control our own money. When we go to work, if you don't pay me up front, you don't get the show. You're out of here, <laughs> you know? And that's how we started to make a little headway. It was something that we just had to fight for. You gotta have faith in yourself so we put our faith in ourselves. That's how we kept it going. For Gladys Knight, her great musical success was not always equaled in her romantic life. She's been married four times, the first time when she was only 16 years old. And she'll tell you that back then, she did not understand the seriousness of the marriage covenant. Today, though, Gladys is married to the man of her dreams, William McDowell. Together, they have an enormous extended family. And now Gladys's home life is like her music. It's filled with harmony. Getting married and, and staying married, to me, getting married that young, you don't understand what the covenant of marriage is really all about. And that's what helps you to have that glue, is when you understand the covenant. It's a covenant, it's not just something you do so you can have legalized sex. Okay, and that's what too many of us thought about. It's just been an ongoing progression for me to have the wonderful husband that I have now. And matter of fact, he just smothers me with, with, with love. I tell him, I said, look, I'm grown. <laughs> I met him, ooh, long time ago, way before we got married. And we were just good friends. And we were talking one day, and I don't know, just something kind of clicked with us. And my husband is a child magnet. <laughs> he is. He's a child magnet. They just hang all over him. And we have 17 grandkids and 10 great-grandkids. The family just grew and grew. My grandchildren, I adore them, and they adore me. They call us for things, Grandpa Will, you know? Every, all my kids and grandkids call me Poppy, okay? Well, Poppy, can you tell me how to cook this? 
we try to give them what our families and our parents gave us. They never let up, no matter how bad things were, you know, and, and I'm so proud that we have the same standards. If you could see our family and know how much we love each other, I feel so honored and so blessed in all of that, to have the family that I have. It's community, and we love each other. But it takes a whole village to raise these children. <laughs> when I decided to go solo, after 40 years with the group, you know, we, we all grow up in different ways. And you have your ways of doing things, and I have my ways of doing things. I felt that the life, the entertainment life, was distracting us from the way that we started out, being so dedicated to what we needed to do. Plus, I had a family, and I didn't have a two-partner family like you guys do. It was just me. I have been nursing babies, going on stage, and asked somebody to hold them. Y'all don't go through what I go through. And I came up with the idea of just, hey, let me, let me just go and see what I could do on my own. I told my brother, I have to go. And he was upset by that because he knew the group that we had known for 40 years was about to come to an end. And he got angry with me. I said, I owe this to my kids. I owe it to myself. I deserve to try. So I made up my mind, and I left the group. Well, I was scared, too, walking out on a stage by myself. All you have to do is just step on out there, even if you make a mistake. And it's not good. I say that to anybody that's trying to make it. You're going to make mistakes in the beginning, but that's how you learn. And that's how you build up your self-confidence, because one of these times they're going to do this. And that's going to give you enough to go ahead and do all the other things that you can and want to do. In the beginning, going on stage, I wasn't saying nothing. That was the whole thing. They said, you got to talk to the audience. I said, and say what? You know, because I would just start singing. You know, they said, no, that's not how you do it. The pips used to push me out front. You supposed to say something. I said, hey, I'm not the only one in this group. You know, you step up there and say something. Because everybody was afraid they would say the wrong thing and they would get heckled. <laughs> so they kept pushing. So after every song, I started saying, thank you very much. <laughs> they said, you got to say something besides thank you very much. <laughs> if you were in my audience, I would think about you as being a, a part of my family or a friend. That way I can talk to you that way. If it's something that I've been through, I'm going to tell you about it. Just real, simple things. The music, we're going to give it to you the way we hope that you'll like it. And on top of that, we may not have time to do everything you've made popular for us, but hopefully these are some of your favorites. Oh, I just talk to them. If I see somebody in the audience that's just upset, I'll ask him, I said, what are you crying about? You know, to get to lighten up things, you know? I have to have contact with the audience. That way it's not a false thing for me. I'm actually talking to you. I'm happier when I'm singing, not because of the notoriety, 
but because we connect. I want everybody to be happy. I want everybody to be prosperous. That's what I feel in my heart. And if they see that in you, it changes them just to know that you can make a difference in somebody's life. Lift people up, you know, because they have so many gifts to give, too. We could have such a better world if we would just, one by one, just do that and keep just uplifting our people. I just like sharing what I have and what I've been gifted and blessed with. They said, now that you know how to talk, you don't know how to shut up, do you? <laughs> Step on out there, even if you make a mistake. I love that. That is called fearlessness. So much in Gladys's life has been about taking big risks and making adjustments along the way. And with her loving family and fulfilling career, Gladys has total command of her voice, whether she's singing one of her all-time hits or advocating for love and respect. And when Gladys speaks to a crowd, her ability to connect with an audience is unmatched. She reaches all of them on a soul level. Miss Gladys Knight, for your gorgeous music and for always remaining true to your authentic self, we salute you. You're a master. I'm Oprah Winfrey, and you've been listening to Masterclass, the podcast. You can follow Masterclass on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. If you haven't already, go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Join me next week for another Masterclass podcast. Want to make mom's day? Get to your Nordstrom Rack now and score amazing deals for Mother's Day, which is Sunday, May 12th. Find tons of gifts from only $30 at Nordstrom Rack. Fragrance, jewelry, luxury bags, activewear, beauty, and more. Save on Kate Spade, New York, Stuart Weitzman, and Ted Baker, London. Great brands, great prices. So shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and treat mom to the good stuff from just $30. Start clean with Clorox because Clorox delivers a powerful clean every time. Because messes happen. Because... A charcoal mask. Great, because why would I put that on my face when I could drop it in my sink? This is what I get for multitasking. Ugh, why is charcoal so sticky? <clears throat> Hello? Hey, Janice. I am so sorry. I thought I was on mute. <laughs> no, we don't need to reschedule. I'll just stay off camera. Ooh, yeah, that happens. So start clean with Clorox. Use Clorox products as directed.